Luke chapter 24. So if you don't have a Bible, grab that pew Bible in front of you, turn to page 1218. Luke 24 is the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to take you on a journey with me this morning. This is the sleep-in service, sleep-in people. We had all the overachievers earlier. You're the sleepers. That's good. I love you. Hey, praise the Lord. I'm with you. It's only I can't sleep. I try, but my wife now, she can sleep. The Lord just loves her. She sleeps, I'm telling you. Not Tony. But this is where I've been for the last couple of months. Just abiding in the Lord and walking together as we've all went through this journey, but then personally in my own journey. And this has, uh, this passage just ministered to me in ways I can't even begin to express. I feel like I could preach 10 sermons on this one passage. Man, have you woken up lately? Just get up one morning and you're thinking, is this a dream? And what's happening? What in the world is going on? And does anybody else have these moments where you feel like your life is an episode of the Twilight Zone and you just, you know, things get just enough back to, you know, something and then something else happens and you just remember, nope, we're not even close. I mean, I, I just want you to know I feel awkward. So we can just embrace it together, okay? I, I don't know what to do. I feel it's weird. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do when I see you. I don't know what to do when I don't see you. I don't know how to, I, I don't know what to do. And you don't know what to do. And you know what's the weirdest thing in the world? The weirdest thing in the world is to see somebody that you love and not know what to do. That's, that is the weirdest thing. I hate that. I hate it. But I feel awkward. We're all stuck in a place we don't want to be. Oh. It'd be like the couple years after Katrina where I felt like I, I for years, just kept telling Katrina stories because there were so many of them it took years to process. It'll probably be that way about this. You know, how do you, how do, you do a funeral when you can't have a funeral? How, does, how do people get closure when they lose a loved one when the people that want to encourage them can't get to them? The, the weddings that I've done during the quarantine, you know, they're beautiful in their own way, and you do everything in your power to make it as special as you can and you know that it's about the two people and the covenant they make before God not the ceremony but at the same time you also know that it's not 
It's not what she's been dreaming of since she was a little girl. It's hard, man, it's hard. All in a sea of varying emotions and, and ups and downs and lefts and rights. I think the only common universal experience that we all sort of have harnessed together is the reality that we are not in control. That's the one thing. That's the message we've all gotten loud and clear. We're not in control. And when the realization comes that you're not in control, you you find yourself buried in anxiety. Some of you have been buried in fear. Some buried in loneliness, others buried in busyness. It's amazing how different we are in the way that we bear burdens and the way that we process hardship. Some just, uh, just sink down and, and heap it all on top of their self to, you know, try to just withdraw and shut down while others just work double time trying to pretend it's not affecting them at all. And in the midst of it all, you, you find yourself buried in unmet expectations because, let's face it, none of us expected to be where we are. And you know, We realize today that none of us can see very far in the future, can we? I mean, even, even right there, you know, even tomorrow just seems iffy. Now, if you, you ask me, you know, something about tomorrow, I'm like, I don't know until I get there. But is that new? Have we ever been able to see into the future? Have we ever been in control? Or have we just perfected convincing ourselves of things that aren't true? Have we convinced ourselves that, that we were in, in some realm, to some degree in control, that we had some capacity and ability to see in the future? But could we? Not at all. It's not new. You know, if you stop to think about it, the things that are the hardest, the things that have rattled us the deepest, are the things that, are, that have nothing to do with something new. It's always been the same. We just didn't, we just didn't want to believe it. We don't want to think about it. We pretend that's not the case. So if you grabbed a listening guide on your way in, I left margin there for you to take notes but here's the first thing I want you to see this morning is that being buried and being planted feel exactly the same initially 
See, when you feel buried, then you start thinking, this is what I do. I start thinking I'm a very visual person. I start thinking about being buried. And I start thinking about it. I start thinking about how that whole thing works out, how when you're buried, how, how a seed goes into the ground. And that seed goes into the ground and, and it, goes, it goes into darkness and the ground is, is damp and cold and dark and lonely. And the seed doesn't understand what's going on. The seed doesn't, doesn't have any perception of what's going on around them. You feel like you're suffocating, like you can't breathe. But there's, a, there's another perspective. There's an opposite perspective that's going on at the same time all of that's going on. There's a planter. See, somebody put the seed there. The planter. And the planter knows exactly what's going on. The seed just didn't drop out of the sky and land there. No, somebody planted it there. Somebody tilled the soil and dug the hole and put the seed down in there. See, the seed, all the seed can feel is buried. Now, in Luke chapter 24, it's Easter morning. Not like the Easter that we weren't together a few weeks back, but like the Easter, right? The Easter. It's that Easter morning. And there's two followers of Jesus. And they're walking home from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And so as they make this seven-mile trek, they've been in Jerusalem celebrating Passover. So they've been there for a week. They were there a week ago when Jesus came into Jerusalem and there was a big parade and everybody was screaming and shouting and waving palm branches and, and celebrating the arrival of the king. Now, it's just a week later. Man, what a difference a week makes. You don't think everything could change in a week. Well, we know. Haywire. In one week. Jesus has been betrayed by a friend. The people have turned against him. He's been crucified and humiliated publicly. He's died and he's been buried in a tomb that stands with two Roman soldiers guarding it. So these two followers of Jesus are walking home. And they're having a conversation, a heated dialogue about the chaos of their reality. Let's pray and ask God to help us see what He wants us to see. Let's pray. Father, 
We thank you for your word and we're asking that you would speak to us through it. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and give us ears to hear, that our hearts would be enlightened and illumined to the reality that's before us, Lord. That, God, you would take command of my thoughts and my voice and that you would speak into each life here as you see fit. For your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you relate to them? They're, they're walking along. Now, we don't know if this is two men. We don't know if this is a husband and wife. The only thing we know is one of them is a man. That's all we know. I like to think that it's a husband and wife because it makes it more real to me. Because I'm picturing me and my wife walking down the road, having a conversation about this chaotic situation we're in. We can't go to church. We got a ration toilet paper. I'm wondering if I'm fixing to become a vegetarian. Dear God, is life worth living after that? I mean, I don't know what's fixing to happen. And here's what I do know. I know that everything I'm feeling, my wife feels different. And everything I think, she thinks something different. Just like you. Some of you are mad because everybody's not wearing a mask. And the other bunch of you are mad because anybody's wearing a mask. I mean, everybody's got a different opinion about everything. And if you turn the TV on, you're really going to get confused. So imagine now, I'm telling that this is, this is reality. They're walking down the road. Think of what they've just experienced in the last week. And they're, they're having a heated dialogue about all this craziness that's been going on. How in the world are we going to make sense of all this? Look at verse 14. So they talked together of all the things which had happened. Now let, let me just tell you now. I mean, I have spent weeks and weeks and weeks where every single day I read this passage. I'm doing my D group reading. I'm doing other devotional reading. I'm, I'm reading James every day. I'm reading Job every day. And I read this every day. They're discouraged. They're despondent. They're heartbroken. They're trying to make sense of something that doesn't seem to make any sense at all. Okay? They feel buried. But, first thing I want us to see is that the planter has a plan. The planter has a plan. That's your next blanks on your listening guide. The planter has a plan, number one. See, somewhere, I don't know how long they'd been going. I don't know how long the dialogue had been happening. I just know that it, they're going and it's happening. And then somewhere along the line, a stranger comes along. You know this story. And he just starts walking with them. He just comes out of nowhere and starts walking with them. And here's what the Bible tells us. In verse 15, it tells us that the stranger is the Lord Jesus. The resurrected Jesus just walks up and starts walking along with him. And then verse 16 tells us that 
They don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. They're blinded to him. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why they don't know who he is, and the Bible doesn't tell us what it is that God did to keep them from knowing. So if you're wondering, here's the reason why they don't know who he is. Because God didn't want them to. That's why. So they don't know. Look at verse 17. So Jesus says, well, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk along and are sad? See? So then one, this is the man, Cleophas, he says, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that has not known the things which have happened there in these days? See, the translation in the original language is, bro, what rock did you just crawl out from under? <laughs> like, this is like you are standing in line to get into the grocery store, and you overhear the two people in front of you talking, and you go, what are y'all talking about? What's the coronavirus? What do you mean pandemic? Why are we standing in line? What? I mean, that's the equivalent of, what are you talking about? It's not like everyone knew. This was a world-altering week. They're followers of Jesus. It's not like everybody didn't know all the miracles he performed and all the things that had happened. And Jesus says in verse 19, what things? What things? Now, now, just don't get in a hurry. Think about who just said what. The man who was dead, who is now alive, that the whole story is about, says, what things? I mean, this is a moment. And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now, are you getting what's happening here? These two people are about to explain who Jesus of Nazareth is to Jesus of Nazareth. Like, there's a lot of times in the Bible I go, man, I wish I was there. Man, I wish that... It's like, man, I'm glad that's not me. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to tell Jesus who Jesus is. That's way too much pressure. Look at verse 21. Just feel if you're saved and you're writing your Bible, this is a great time. Get your pen out because you need to write in it right here. Verse 21. But we were hoping. Or if you have the ESV, we had hope. You should underline that. We had hoped or we were hoping. Past tense. That it was he who was going to redeem us. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. So what happened? Hope is now past. It's gone. Hope's in past tense, right? Which means what? It means expectations have gone unmet, right? Right? See, because we have hope, 
But it didn't pan out the way we thought it was going to pan out. So now hope is gone because our expectations haven't been met. Now, why do they say, well, it's been three days since all this has happened? What's that got to do with anything? Because all of our expectations always are connected to our timeline. You cannot have an expectation without a timeline. That's impossible. Right then would have been a good time to say amen. You need to own what I just said. You have expectations, just like me, and they're on your timeline, just like mine, or they wouldn't be an expectation. And so their expectation has gone unmet, and now hope is gone, and the timeline, the reason they say, well, it's been three days is this. Well, they didn't, Jesus died. They didn't just leave. They hung around. I don't know. Maybe something's going to happen. In their mind, if something's going to happen, then it's fixing to happen. But it didn't happen. So they waited around. Then it didn't happen. So at this point, they realize nothing's going to happen because if it would have happened, it already would have happened. Now, I wonder how many times you and me have started walking away because we were on our own timeline. Hmm? Oh, well, it wasn't enough just to say, well, here's what happened. We were hoping that he was going to redeem us. But now our hope is gone. The reason is because, hey, we've waited three days and nothing's happened. God doesn't change his timing to meet our expectations. Boy, that's a good word for right now. That's a a pandemic word right there. He didn't change the timing to meet our expectations. See, the planner has a plan. Now, let's just talk about hope for a second. Hope is a struggle. But hope's not just a struggle today. Hope's always been a struggle. Hope has never been easy. Hope has never been easy. And if you say, well, hope comes easy to me, then you got little small hope. See, there's lots of degrees of hope, isn't there? Yes, Like what? Well, like, I hope I make an A on the test. Okay. I mean, that's hope, but that's that's not the biggest kind of hope. I hope I get it. I hope I get the job. I really hope she says yes if I ask her out on a date. I really hope he doesn't ask me out on a date. (laughs) It's hope. That's a degree of hope. But then there's a a higher degree of hope. I hope I get married someday. I hope to buy a house. I hope God gives me a child to raise in the house. I hope my children grow up and leave the house. But then God's going to give me more children so that that will never happen. 
But that's not the deepest hope. What about I, I hope the cancer test comes out negative? I hope my wife's home when I get there. I don't know where they are, but I hope my children are okay. I hope that my dad will know my name today. I hope that my mom will pass away peacefully and that her suffering will be ended. See, hope is a big word. It encompasses all sorts of levels of things. And every one of us, we go through seasons in our life where we feel buried because our hope Our hope's not there because we had hoped. Over these past couple of months, I have had so many conversations with so many strangers. I, I've never seen our culture more open to having a conversation with a stranger than I do right now. Amen. I have literally talked to hundreds of strangers sharing the gospel with people because the door just flings wide open. Because all I have to do is listen to what they're telling me about the hardships that they're facing and then they're telling me all the questions that they're trying to find answers to and then just speak into it. See, people around us have lost hope and, and primarily they've lost hope that they can trust in anything because think about it. All the things that, that the culture trusts in just disintegrated. All the things that the world around us hopes in just let them down. Like, you know what? I haven't talked to one single person. Not one person. That has told me my hope is in the government. I don't know nobody. I haven't had one single person tell me my hope is in the economy. Nobody. The things that people hope in, they, they dashed. And so 
You know what else? They don't hope that, that they, they've lost hope that God could ever love them. That God would or could love them. They, they don't have hope that they could have a relationship with the God of the universe. But see, in this moment of feeling buried, seemingly out of nowhere, I mean, don't, don't disconnect yourself from the scene. They're walking down the road. Giving their opinion about why everything's a disaster. And Jesus just walks right up in it. He just comes right up in, in the mess. Right in it. This isn't when... They're not sitting there under a shade tree with the Bible open, having a singing kumbaya and reciting all the thousands of verses that they memorized. This is in the buried moment. This is in the strain and the stress and the bewilderment. This is in the hope is dashed moment of confusion and chaos. And out of nowhere, suddenly, there's somebody right there. Right there. Right in the midst of it. He has a plan. The seed doesn't know it. But the planter does. He has a plan. He has a plan. Number two. The planter has a process. He has a process. Now you know. Those of you in the room that know me. You know I am a farming expert. I mean <laughs> basically. I'm like a horticulture machine. I mean, I can grow anything, plant anything for fun. I ride around on my combine with all my animals. But here's what I, I know. Any farmer that's in business has a process. And you know that. Like, you, you got you to gotta have a process. You can't run a farm for five seconds without a process. You better know what you're doing, when you're doing it. You got to do the right thing with the right stuff at the right time, don't you? Oh, yeah. And what happens to the farmer who goes, eh, I'm going to do it my own way? They got to work at McDonald's. That's what they do. The planner has a process. And just like a good farmer, he never deviates from the process. And throughout the entire scripture, what becomes obvious is what I'm about to read to you. This process. Look at verse 25. So then Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all that the scriptures, the things that were concerning to him. So, what, what, let's just think deeply about what we just read. What is verses 25, 26, and 27 telling us? Why didn't Jesus, now, now, now think about this with me. Imagine you're Jesus. 
I know it's a stretch, but just go with me. Imagine you're Jesus, and there's these two people, and you're engaged in this conversation, and now you are ready to reveal to them what they need to know, right? Isn't there very simple ways to do that? In other words, notice Jesus doesn't just start. They're having, a, they're having an unscripted, intense conversation. Jesus doesn't just come in and start telling personal stories. No, he doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't just come in and uh, do a miracle. Listen, he didn't have to say anything. He could have just said, oh, foolish ones, stop. Watch this. Right? I mean, he could have pointed at a rock and went, Whoo. what else needs to be said? Nothing. Boom, one simple momentary action. That's not what he did. You know why? Because he never deviates from the process. He walks them through the scripture. He says to them, the way he speaks to them is he says, in essence, I want you to understand from the scripture. Now, I want you to think about this. Why does Jesus do this? Why? Why is this his process? Why? Why does he never deviate from this process? Why doesn't he use all of the resources that he has at his disposal to be way more flamboyant, way more compelling, and way quicker, way more effective? Why not give him a moment that, that they're never, ever, ever going to forget? Why doesn't he do that? Because... The process is about more than just them. Listen to me now. Think with me for a second. The process that God uses must be a process that you can then repeat. If Jesus would have made a boulder float in the air, what were these two knuckleheads going to do when they went and talked to somebody about him? They would have went, well... It's not reproducible. The process goes beyond the person. You see that? You see that? That's big. That's important. Look at verse 30. So they keep going, and here's what happens. It gets dark. It's late. They're ready. You know, they get to where they're going. Jesus is about to tail off, and they go, man, no, no, no. Hey, don't leave. Stay with us. It's evening, it's late. Why don't you stay and eat with us? And Jesus says, nope, sorry. Do you know how busy I am? Do you know how, of course, they don't know who he is still at this point. Well, but they know that he walks with God and they know that he's super knowledgeable about the Bible. But he doesn't say, no, man, I mean, I got, I'm busy. I got a lot to do. I've given you enough of my time, uh, whatever. You know what he does? He goes and eats with them. I'm just telling you something now. There's a moment right here. About five or six weeks ago, I came to right here. I mean, I've been swimming in this thing for weeks. And every day, it's like a new thing. 
And then I get to this moment and I start thinking about Jesus goes and eats with them. In other words, he's already told them everything he needs to tell them. He's told them. He's explained everything in the scripture about himself. Starting with the prophets. He went through the whole Old Testament pointing to Jesus, right? But you know what he did? He went and ate with them. And I'm in my study. And I'm on my knees. And I realize. You know what I'm going to do? I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I'm going to make margin in my life. So that I can eat with the people that I love. I'm going to have time to sit down and eat. The majority of my ministry life, I haven't had time to even think about it. Jesus stopped and went in and sat down and ate with them. Now look, look at what happens. Look at verse 30. Now, when it came to pass, he sat down at the table with them, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And then look, verse 31, and their eyes were opened that they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Why? Why didn't they know it was Jesus until this moment? I know the smart Alex in the room are going, because God didn't want them to. And you're right. Smart Alex. Well, why? Come on, think with me. Why? Well, let me ask you this question. When do you, when do you recognize the operation of God in your life? In the blessing. In the blessing, something good happens to you, things happen that you, and you say, praise the Lord, look at what God did, and we give him all the glory and the praise. But what about all the stuff that happened before that? Jesus had been with them for a while. They didn't recognize him until the blessing. Just like you and me. We don't recognize God in the chaos and the hardship and the struggle and the We recognize him in the blessing. And look at what they said. Look at verse 32. And they said to one another, "Did not our heart burn within us a while when he when he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us?" What? Hey, what Their heart was burning inside of them, but they didn't know it was Jesus. And you say to yourself, 
How is that possible? And I say, I don't know. How is it possible that you've sat in this room? How many times have you sat in this room and the word of God made your heart burn inside of you and you went, got up, got out of them doors, went and got in your car and drove away and didn't change nothing? How many times? So don't cast judgment. Their heart was burning inside of them. They didn't. They didn't go, oh, that's Jesus. Mm -mm. How many times have you read your Bible and your heart burned inside of you? Maybe you even promised and committed you were going to change something and do something and this and that and the other, and then, but then it, you never did it. Huh? Come on. If we're honest, we've walked down the road to Emmaus a thousand times over. A thousand times over. Yes, we have. Every single one of us. Then they realize it's him and then they go, oh. Now, you ever done that? Thank you. I mean, I'm starting to think, am I the only sinner in the room? For a minute there, I thought I was preaching to the heavenly host here or something. I didn't know what was happening. Something happens, and then you go, you immediately realize, that, that's why. That's what God was saying to me in that scripture. That's what I, I read that last week. That's what I read yesterday. That's what I, but at the time, man, it was good. Something was, but you didn't, and then all of a sudden afterwards you go, oh yeah, my heart was burning inside of me. Yeah, oh yeah. See, the planter has a plan. The seed doesn't know what the plan is, but the planter does. He's got a plan, and he's got a process, and he never deviates from the process. You with me? But the planter also has a passion. Number three, he has a passion. And if you think he's ultra committed to his plan, which he is, or ultra committed to his process, which he is, he's ultra committed to his passion. See, the plan, the process, and the passion, never, they're inseparable. It's a, they come as a package deal. In other words, if God's in it, then he has a plan. If God's in it, he's doing it by the process. And if God's in it, his passion is all over it. So what, what, what am I talking about? Well, now, look at the very next verse. Look at verse 33. Now, what just happened? They were, there was the end of the day. They were tired. It was dark. They got to stop and eat. Jesus comes and eats with them. He blesses the food. They realize it's him. Then he vanishes. Then the realization that their heart was burning within them. Are you with me? Now, re, now get this. The next, verse 33, so they rose up. When did they rise up? They slept a good night's sleep, got up the next morning, ate a good breakfast, and then trekked seven miles back to Jerusalem. Right then, right there, that very hour, they got up and took off back to Jerusalem. Right then. And they went and found the disciples. 
They had something they had to tell. There was no waiting. There was no resting. There was no, well, let's think about this. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to pray about it. Nope. Back down the road. So they start telling the disciples, hey, here's what happened. We were walking down the road, and then this guy came along, and then he started sharing all this stuff with us, and our hearts started burning, but we didn't know who it was. And then they go through the whole thing. And then Jesus shows up in the new room and amongst them all. The same thing. He shows up in the, whole, in the room with all of them. And they're all like, whoa, wow. And they go through this whole thing like, is it really you? And he says, give me some fish. He eats the fish. You know, let me touch your scars, put my finger in the holes, make sure. All that. But watch what the Bible says. Look at verse 45. I mean, this, this blows my mind. After all this interaction with the disciples now. We're not talking about just some random, we're talking about people that spent three and a half years of their life with them every single day. Verse 45, then after all of that, the Bible says, then he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the what? The reality of their circumstances. That they might comprehend the gravity of what was happening. That they might comprehend that he was really there in front of them. No. What's the process? It's always the same process. That they might comprehend the Scripture. The Scripture. It's the Bible. It's always intended to go beyond you. It's always been the Bible. It's always going to be the Bible. It's never going to be anything other than the Bible. It doesn't matter. I don't want to hear about your vision or your dream or your strategy or your. That's not the process. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. You got that? Now think of who's in the room. Verse 46, and he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. Look, he's repeating the same thing he said to the two on the road to Emmaus. To suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. I want to ask you a question. What is the first thing Jesus says to people who just got enlightened? What is the very first thing that God says to people who gain understanding?
Get in a Bible study. Stop cussing. Stop drinking. You need to start dressing modest. Get rid of the mullet. Oh, no, I said that. Sorry. What does he say? Preach the gospel. The first thing out of his mouth to people who have understanding is preach the gospel. Start right now, right here. That's what he said. Right now, right here. Don't make a plan. Don't take a trip. Don't, you don't have to do it. Start right here, right now. Start. You're going all, everywhere. The gospel's going to every nation, starting with where? Right where you're standing. Start right now, right here. Preach the gospel. Now listen. Hold on now. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's repeating the same point he's been making from the very beginning of this morning. Very beginning. The whole thing, it's the same thing he was doing on the road to Emmaus. They're walking down the road. They don't understand what's going on. Jesus, this is the message. He's saying, this that you're experiencing right now, that you're confused about, that you, you, don't, you don't understand, you can't make heads or tails of it, right? He says, that, see, they're talking about that. They're in this because of that. Are you lost? They're in chaos because that happened on the cross three days ago. That is what made this a big mess. Jesus said, you're in this, but that was for this. The reason that happened was for this. You see, what makes that paramount and important and what mattersome is that this moment right here, that all of that happened for this. He's saying, didn't you think that it would be necessary for the Christ to suffer and die for the salvation of the world? In other words, that is happening was about far more than what you ever dreamed. See, they thought that their, their hope was that he would redeem Israel. And what they meant was redeem means to take out of bondage or out of slavery. But they didn't mean slavery from sin. They meant Roman oppression. What they thought was we thought he was the one that was going to free us from Roman oppression. And Jesus is like, Wrong. This chaos is showing you that that was about way more than you ever dreamed. That was bigger than you suspect. Now fast forward. Me and you are on the road to Emmaus. We're talking about all the stuff that's been going on around us. And we're trying to make heads or tails of it. And we've got all our opinions. And you're quoting your experts. And I'm quoting what I've read. And everybody's saying something about something. And really everyone's a moron. Amen. Everybody's a moron. Everybody is a moron. And so we're having a big conversation. Jesus comes in the conversation and says, <clears throat> Hmm. 
This is about more than what you think. Way more than what you think. There's more going on here than meets the eye. And what should you be doing? Oh, you of understanding. You should be sitting at home watching the television. What should you be doing? I mean, what's occupying your time? What consumes you? How many people have you personally told that Jesus is the only solution? The only one you can count on. He's the only one that has the answers to the questions you're asking. He's the only way forward. The only solution, the only answer, the only one. How many people have you told in the last 10 weeks that truth? And then ask yourself, how many pointless, mindless, useless conversations have you had about all the nonsense that's been going on around us and you don't know anything and nor does the person you're talking to? Forget all that. We need to be talking about Jesus because the world is in crisis. They want to know what to do. They need something they can count on. They need someone that they can hope in. And you have the answer. You see, you can't separate this. Only, only the modern church, primarily in the United States of America, could conjure up a way to separate gospel and mission in their own minds. That's impossible. Wherever the gospel is, mission will be. You can take that to the bank. That's your next blanks. And wherever there's no mission, there is no gospel. That's inseparable. You can't do that. Where there's gospel, there's mission. Where there's mission, there's gospel. If there's no mission, there's no gospel. Period. A hundred percent of the time. Notice, and who, who is going to accomplish this purpose? See what the Bible says? Look at verse 40. Eight and underline you, you, you. Jesus doesn't say, Guess what? There's going to be some really smart people that are going to come along, they're going to go to seminary and they're going to become pastors. They're going to, nope, oh, there's going to be some people that are going to write some commentaries and some great books. And you can, nope, he said, You are the witnesses. You know who, who's going to accomplish it? You are. You know why? Because you know. Which is why the process is the process. So that you don't have to stand around with your hands in your pocket and fumbling around for words like you don't know what to say or how to do it. Yes, you do. Because what the process that got you to where you are is the process that you can use to get other people to where they need to be. It's the same process. See, this 
is a chaotic moment. That is for this. That is for this. You understand? For God so loved the world that he gave, that he slaughtered, that he killed his only son. That so that this whosoever would believe in him would not perish and have eternal life. That was for this. You see that? That is about this. People in this need to know about that. You know what no one needs to know about in this? This. I don't need to have another ridiculous conversation pointing out the reality that no one knows jack about this. But I know a whole bunch about that. So let's talk about that. Have we forgotten? Somehow a pandemic shows up. We forgot. We forgot. Let me remind you of a couple things. True or false? Your days are numbered, and they're numbered by one person who holds the key to the number of those days. Is that true or that false? Is there anything you can do to change that? Is there any pandemic, any, any coronavirus, vaccine, medication, world climate change disaster, earthquake, or anything else that can uproot the fact that one person has the number of your days, period. I don't care how many ventilators there are or they don't have. I don't care if who wears a mask and don't wear a mask. All I know is the Bible says one person, the God of the universe, holds the number of days. Now, when I get in my car, I'm still putting my seatbelt on because he gave me a brain. But he's holding the keys. Let's don't forget that. There's still a God and he's still on the throne. Why don't we talk about that? Because we know about that. That's what we know. This is only a way to open the door to get to that. That's all it is. See, the planner, he, he's got a plan and a process and a passion. And he allows difficult things to come into our lives. Amen. He does. He has a plan. I don't know. But I know he has a plan. So guess what's going to happen when you come to me and start wanting to have a conversation about this? Guess what I'm going to say? I don't know, but I know about that. I know about that. I know what happened there. I know what happened on that day when all hope was lost. I know what happened on that day three days later. I know what happened there. I I don't know about this, but I know about that. And I know that was for this. And see, I don't have to turn the TV on or listen to anybody else to find out about that. I got it right here. Right here. It's right here. And every day. I can open it up and my heart burns within me. So see, when you're buried, Jesus comes alongside. He says, hey, I I know what it feels like to be buried. I told a young man the other day, standing on the side of the road, I said, 
when he got done telling me about how buried he was, I said, you know what? I know somebody knows more about buried than anybody else. He got buried deeper than anybody ever been buried. His name's Jesus. And you know what he did? He said, he looked at that deep, dark hole and he said, I'm going to go first. He said, I know it's scary when you're the seed and you don't know what's happening. But he said, I'm going to be the first seed. I'm going first. So that there, because there's going to be times when you don't know what's going on and you don't understand and you can't make heads or tails of it. But he said, I'm going to go first so that you, you don't have to panic. He didn't say it wasn't going to be hard. He didn't say it wasn't going to be confusing or chaotic. Or, but, it, but you don't have to panic because I'm going first. See, if you stop and think about it, you realize there's a lot of lessons in the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus, this passage, it, it reminds me that Nothing's too messed up for God. Nothing. It reminds me that God's at work long before we ever realize it. See, a lot of times we're walking down the road, wrapped up in this, and what we don't realize is Jesus is right there, close. He's with us. He's walking right with us. And we're just... We're just waiting on the blessing to come so we can acknowledge. But he's been with us the whole time. The whole time. So he, he comes and does everything that needs to be done. Everything. He did it all. So that when he said it is finished, it's finished. So no matter how crazy life gets, it's finished. It didn't get unfinished. It's finished. He finished it. He did it. He did it. It's done. You can rest in that. See, we hijack the promises of God. We twist them around in our heart and we make them say things they don't say. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you answers. That is what it says. It says rest. You know what? You don't get answers in rest. You just need to rest. It's not your timing for your expectations. Just rest. Church, I, I believe God's up to something with all my heart. I think it's right for us to praise God and to acknowledge the fact that He has done such a remarkable job of not just sustaining us, but elevating us, making us better through this whole process. I'm 100%, 100% convinced that we are by far a better church today than we were two and a half months ago. We are definitely 
a better church. But I also believe it's just the beginning. I think that God is at work through us. And that through this whole experience, He desires to do things in us that we really can't imagine. That's what I believe. I believe the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43 where the Lord says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers flow in the desert. I think that's what God's saying today. So when you give your life to Jesus, you go from buried to planted. It feels the same initially, but it's not. You go from buried, that's your last blanks, to planted. We're a seed that the one with the plan and the process and the passion put in the ground. And you know what I know about seeds? Just enough to be dangerous. I know that there are seasons, aren't there? Yeah, there are seasons. And this is a season. And we've been planted here for this season. And when it seems dark and cold... And three days has passed and we don't think anything's going to change. That's when life begins to spring forth. New things begin to come forth. This is pointing to that. Because that is what we need 